It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The scales right now, it's tipped very heavily in favor of the reforms of the progressive left. Well intended, some needed, but uh, tipped too far. And what we have uh, as a result is this growing fear of crime, this growing actual amount of crime, as evidenced in almost every major American city. And, and most of the victims of crime since the 2020 rise of uh, Black Lives Matter, when it really took root uh, or took off, have been blacks. So as we defund the police and defame the police, they're the ones paying the biggest price. That, that fact did not elude Professor Wilford Riley, an associate professor of political science at Kentucky State University, author of uh, books Taboo, Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. He's also got a great podcast. Professor Riley, welcome back. Oh, always good to be on the show. So do you agree with Bratton? Yeah, I mean, so we're now kind of seeing the cost of the quote unquote racial reckoning. And although I I lean right, I'm not really political about this. This is this is a national tragedy. But I mean, last year, so in 2014, there were about 6,000 black homicides per year. After the Ferguson riots and the quote-unquote Ferguson effect, that jumped to close to 8,000, a little under 8,000. And last year, we had 9,900 recorded black murders, black fatal homicides. So we've seen the black homicide rate during the Black Lives Matter era jump about 63%. And if you talk to Leos, law enforcement officers like uh, the former Chief Bratton, they'll, they'll say that's really directly traceable to police pullback. You can look at the number of stops that the police make uh, in a typical year, and that tracks really, really closely with the crime rate. So to some extent, the protesters got what they wanted, right? The request was that the police pull back, respect black neighborhoods, respect black spaces, you know, go go lighter as read the enforcement of certain laws. And we saw the obvious as a result. When the cops stop policing, you have more crime. And that and that's where we're at right now. Uh, when you look at the Black Lives Matter and the, and the whole push there, I was shocked to hear the new mayor of New York say this after a particular night of uh, death and destruction in Brooklyn and in the Bronx. I think here is a here's Eric Adams talking about BLM. I thought Black Lives Matter. Where are all those who stated Black Lives Matter. When are we going to start asking these serious questions? If Black Lives Matter, then the thousands of people I saw on the street when Floyd was murdered should be on the street right now stating that the lives of these black children that are dying every night matters. We can't be hypocrites. Wow. I mean, that gives you hope this mayor, uh, as a black mayor who was very critical of the police when he was on the police force, to say that, um, where do you think that comes from? Well, he, he said some wacky and mildly racist stuff, and he's griped about being a vegetarian. And so I kind of like Eric Adams. I mean, he's, he's a good cop in his day. Um, I think Adams is saying the absolutely obvious. Um, I, I think that a more conservative mayor who said it with a you know bit less BSing time first might make even more of an impact on crime in that city. But the the whole Black Lives Matter movement, racial reckoning movement, to some large extent, was based on lies, and we need to understand that. 
The original focus was this Ben Crump idea of open season, legalized genocide of colored people. Mr. Crump, if I have that correct, was literally Trayvon Martin's lawyer. It's the argument that the cops are murdering, what they say, hundreds, thousands of unarmed black men every year. It turns out that when myself, Heather McDonald, your news network, other people started digging into this, the total number of unarmed black men, unprovokedly, that are shot by the police in a typical year is about 10. Probably probably a bit fewer, actually, if you add in unprovokedly, totally unarmed. And in response, we saw this national movement where these very non-typical, these very unique and unfortunate cases, the George Floyd case, where there was horrible policing, but the guy may also have had an overdose, these were taken and shoved into the national spotlight and presented as normal. And the police pulled back by 20, 30 percent in a bunch of cities. And the result absolutely was what we just described. So when Adam says... In a day, there are 30 or 40 people shot, and two-thirds or three-fourths of them are black. We're seeing that in most major cities, all adjusted for population size. But we're seeing that in Chicago and Louisville and Cincinnati and the cities near me. So if you truly think that black lives matter, yeah, the, the same people, the same strong young men that were out in the streets protesting logically should be out in the streets defending their neighborhoods against gang members and criminals and strong arm robbers. But I, I frankly think we'll be, we'll be waiting a good long time before we see that. And that's why you need police doing it. Mm. So the thing is, uh, there's so many people, uh, I would put myself in that category. They want to help out. You know, there, there's situations in the inner city where kids are born with, you know, in a, maybe a single parent household where they're, uh, where they're, uh, they have on welfare, where they're attached to social programs, maybe don't have that role model to understand how to make it in this very, you know, competitive world, maybe and have school systems. They got plenty of money, but they fail them because they don't pay the teachers enough, whatever the situation is. I'd love to start helping. But when you when you see Black Lives Matter get this type of money and then you find out that they're buying mansions rather than helping rebuild cities or, or putting boys and girls clubs and uh, mentorship programs in Chicago and in Charlotte and in San Francisco and Los Angeles, it drives you crazy. It, it forces people just to stay away, Professor. Yeah, uh, so I, I think the first line there is actually very important. Most people want to help out. There, there can be miscommunication between whites and blacks, and for that sure. matter, between men and women, northerners and southerners, Mexican, Hispanic immigrants and native-born Americans, so on down the line. But most people actually in this country, which is a good country, aren't bigoted haters. The huge majority of people, and this is a major mistake Black Lives Matter made, this making police violence even all about black people. And presenting the average white person as sort of this distant, prejudiced person who doesn't care. The average Italian-American ex-athlete in New York City or Long Island would really, really like to help. But the, the, uh, basically the point is, yeah, the initial hostility of the movement here and also these the sort of perceptions of corruption. I mean, I wrote an article about this for Spiked Online. I talk about it in my book, Taboo. But Black Lives Matter received something like $11 million from mostly well-intentioned donors. This is all the Black Lives Matter organizations. Uh, Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, BLMNGF, alone got $90 million within one year. And if you actually track where that money was spent, I mean, it, it's easy to go through the houses and so on. But almost $30 million was given to groups that don't really have a lot to do with the inner city. Um for the Gorals, for example, the transgender travel group was one of the groups that uh, Patrice Calors favored with a, a stick figure gift. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people 
ideally there would be a movement we could all join together yeah. a la the old civil rights movement to genuinely help the poor i don't think blm ever was that listen to the all-new brett bear podcast featuring common ground in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle along with all your brett bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts Professor Wilford Riley with Associate Professor of Political Science, Kentucky State University. I want you to hear. So now people like the IRS are saying, wait a second, you have all this money. You don't really fire tax returns and you're buying mansions. So now people are asking her for some paperwork. She doesn't run Black Lives Matter anymore. I don't think anybody actually does. Here's what she said. I actually did not know what 990s were before all of this happened. The accountant handled that. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Um... It, it is such a trip now to hear the word, the, 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 the term 990s. I'm like, it's like triggering. It's triggering? <laughs> really? Everyone, the whole country's been triggered in April. I don't know. It's, it's tax month. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things that's almost funny when you debate the modern hard left is that they only have one argument. Like they've, they've learned the same dance steps really, really well. So if you listen to that full Calores clip, she says that she's triggered by the difficulties of working in the tax system. At another point, she says it's racist. This must be designed to take a lot of money from, I guess, black small businessmen, white small businessmen, of course, don't pay taxes. We all know that. Um, you know, there's another point where she says, and I'm kidding, but there's another point where she says, I feel unsafe looking at these sort of complex forms. This is all just BS. I mean, as you pointed out, I think on the five, Almost any accountant in the country would have been glad to work for free with Black Lives Matter to make sure that everything was paid up properly. There was no continuation of the racial crisis, so on. They just didn't do that. And if you actually don't just want to throw darts here, but if you actually look at the operation of BLM NGF as a charity, there have been massive problems. I mean, Calores resigned, as I recall, in late 2020. If not, it was 2021 and plan to turn the brand, the 501c3, over to kind of her second and third ranking people. But they, they basically said no. They never assumed those roles. So for a long time, there was no one in the group in the yeah. fiduciary spot. It, it's just – it's remarkable stuff. And there really – there is a soft bigotry of low expectations where you and I, I assume, are both charitable givers, want to help poor black Americans, poor white Americans, whatever. But – where it is hard to take this seriously, and it's really unfortunate this is what ended up happening with this movement. But that gets back to the movement itself being founded around this false issue. It wasn't founded on the idea of helping the poor across the color line. It was founded on the idea that there's a race war targeting black people yep. led by the police. And that was that was never really true. That That was the problem all along. That was, <laughs> that was brilliant because you talk to the police and go, really? I, I, it's my fault because of George Floyd? My Long Island cop friends, it's their fault? The ones that are working for 40? You come out of the academy. Do you know how much you make? $38,000 a year. And do you ever, they, they want to start passing a rule, you got to live in New York City. So that's, you become a policeman not for the money, not for the glory, and now you find out you're the problem. A lot of people are just in our country. We're just walking away from this and saying, I'm not doing law enforcement anymore. And that's kind of where we're at, where we're at. You know, I'm in Detroit and I went to the Henry Ford uh, um, American Museum of Innovation. And in there is the Rosa Parks bus. In there are these great speeches by Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and they're rowing. And in there is a 
uh, oh, an actual water fountain that says whites only, blacks only, and there's a actual bathroom that says colors only, whites only. I mean, people see that, like me, and listening right now, white people or non-African-Americans, and are horrified. And we want to mm-hmm. fix these things. And I, we go through it. We study it. I went through a mostly white working class community, grew up. We never ducked this. We had semesters just on civil rights and what LBJ did and what has to still be done. Never ducked it. So, of course, we could always improve on it. Having said that, we look at that and we can't pretend that was yesterday. We can not march the progress, want to get better. And my question to you in the big picture is how do we grow and say, look how far we've come, look how bad it was, and do it in a positive way? Is it possible? Yeah, of course it's possible. I mean, I, I think that what you're saying, and again, I, I grew up in a working class integrated community. I was born on the south side of Chicago where you had African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, Italians, Irishmen. I moved to the east side of Aurora, many Eastern European immigrants as well, hardworking people. And I think that most Americans have a perspective pretty similar to mine or yours. I mean, most people at this point, 2022, think racism was bad. Percent of people that wouldn't consider it interracial marriage, like 4%. I think most people also go a step further and recognize the legacy of the past. There are more poor people on, say, an Indian reservation because of past abuse, even if rights are equal now, and we want to fix that. The problem is that what you could call critical race theory, and my, my buddy Chris Rufo has done obviously a lot of good work on this, and I, I think the term is useful, but that doesn't provide a solution. That's not the civil rights movement. It's kind of the exact reverse face of everyone working together. So... The whole CRT argument basically is that every gap in society now, this is Ibram Kendi word for word, is due to some new, hidden, subtle form of racism. So it's not enough just to work to help the poor. If a white guy works to help the poor, they're probably doing that for some crooked, manipulative reason. (laughs) What you need to do is bring in these paid minority experts and consultants to lead and that down that path, I don't, I don't think there lies anything. Racism is what it always was, is disliking people genetically or ethnically. How can you stop it? You, you punish it in society. What do you do if people don't have a lot of money? You help them out, or more importantly, you teach them a skill. And I think as people come forward offering that, other group FAIR, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, does a good job, 1776 I think as these normal groups of middle-class citizens offer an actual alternative where they say, look, we've got blacks and whites here, Hispanics with jobs, we're working together. I think most people are going to latch on to that as opposed right. to sort of this endless wail. Right. Uh, like what we got from Disney, um, you know, and a lot of people just writing checks and uh, like what happened in uh, Atlanta, excuse me, in Georgia during the election. OK, we're a racist country and we're trying to black out, stop black people from voting in Georgia. So let's move the all star game. You know, so uh, we, we're seeing a lot of this, especially at the corporate level now. So and a lot of people just throw up their hands and say, OK, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to hang out with people that understand that uh, I'm not a racist. And I'm going to just uh, stay out of the fray. But with this political environment, 24-hour news, it's impossible. Uh, final thought, Professor? Yeah, I, I think that the what you just said is 
unfortunate and it's a sign of kind of it's a corporate laziness is the main thing you're talking about where yeah we do have some problems in this country that require us to work hard and clean up the residue of the past not many still some people want to do that but it's very easy just to look at the loudest voices assume they represent minority communities or whatever and write them a big check but they don't almost no one on the ground in a black community or for that matter a poor white one in long island wants the cops gone nobody so you need to actually talk to people from those areas. We need to actually work together. It's harder, but like most hard work, that's how you get results. I hear you. Uh, always educational to talk to you. Professor Wilfred Riley, uh, pick up his book, Taboo, 10 Facts You Can't Talk About and Hate Crime Hoax. Uh, thanks, Professor. Thanks a lot, Brad. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.